Praise God. Grab a seat, everybody. Well, Community Church, welcome to not just a new series, but today I believe is a quite a significant day for us. I believe it is uh, the beginning of a brand new season of ministry and impact for us as a local church. What will be spoken this morning and over the course of the next five weeks in this series, um, I believe will have a lasting impact on our community, and it is for the immediate future, uh, not really 10 or 20 or 30 years down the road, although maybe many seeds will be sown, but I believe it's probably a description of what God is going to be up to over the next 24 months of ministry. Today, I want to invite 100% of every single person who can hear my voice to come and join and be invited into a process of where I believe God is at work. Whether you are a founding member of this church, whether you've come for a decade, whether you've come for a year, or whether today is your very first Sunday with us, we're thrilled to have everyone here. And I want to invite every single one of you to engage in what I'm about to relay here and convey here in just a moment or two that I think is very, very exciting indeed. Um, If you are new around here, you really, really have caught us at a unique little point. Uh, In fact, today is not going to be a typical uh, Sunday. It will have a little bit of a twist and turn on the sermon to it that will be very unique to us. So if you're newer around here, this probably isn't business as usual, but you've caught us at a time which is very, very exciting, and we're glad to have you here. The last time, I think, that this church made this kind of stretch and faith growth uh, is probably about 18 years ago. And it's when, actually, this family built, together with the help of God, this facility right here. And in those 18 years, we have seen hundreds, and probably thousands of people um, come in here and worship the living Savior, encounter the truth of His love, experience salvation in Jesus Christ, and sit under the preached Word of God. And that is a very, very good thing. Here's what the next five weeks look like. Pastor Wally and myself will be moving through a book in the Old Testament called Nehemiah. We're going to be moving through some kind of larger sections in Nehemiah beginning today in chapter 1. And I'm going to be presenting to you today in very concrete terms the details of a kingdom initiative that will be beginning right now for the next 24 months that is simply entitled, you can't miss it, Advance. And by that we simply mean I am thoroughly convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot sit still, will not sit still, that it must advance into the hearts of men and women and children and families and single people and young and old, no matter the stage of life, God is not sitting on His hands. And the question is, God, how do we partner with you to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that's what the next 24 months are going to be all about. It is exciting. What I'm about to share with you is extremely risky. I'm slightly petrified. I'm sitting on the edge of my pulpit here, and uh, it's a little daring, but I think it's bold, and I think it's going to be worth it. And in fact, today uh, represents months and months, and probably in excess of 12 months, of thinking and praying and fasting and planning and meeting and tilling the ground of due diligence, and we cannot wait to share with you all that we believe God has called us to. Uh, Ushers, would you please come on forward, and you're going to everyone be handed one of these, please. And you didn't get bulletins today because everything you need is going to be in this little guidebook right here. And I want to invite you, the very first thing, please, if you do, because they all look exactly the same, grab a pen and put your name on the back, please. So if you'd grab a pen from the seat right in front of you and scribble your name on this, it would be very helpful. And I'm going to ask, would you please, please, please hang on to these for five weeks and bring them back to church with you for five weeks? In here are room for your notes. There are questions for all of our community groups for the next five weeks. And the concrete details of what I'm about to share with you is on every single page. So today there's a possibility that it might uh, uh, sound like an American phrase, fire hose. I always get that one wrong in my brain. Fire hose, right? That's when you get a lot of information. Am I right? Fire hydrant. Okay, you're going to get a lot of information today. And this is going to be handy because when you get back home, you're going to be sitting this on the kitchen table or sticking in your Bible, and you can flick through and say, what did he mean by that? What was this piece of things? And it's going to have a lot of explanation. Rather than thumb through it right now, could I please ask you to turn to page number 21 as soon as you receive it and as soon as you write your name down on this. Community groups, this is going to be essential for you for the next five weeks. 
Page 21, if you could turn it right there as quick as you can. Anyone here who's not in a community group, what we are going to do right now is we're launching five-week community groups. And I will invite anybody and everybody here on a Wednesday night. We have a meal for everybody. And then we're going to jump into community groups around Advance right here in the facility. So if you're not in one and you'd love to be one, actually, it's a great opportunity to just kind of put your toe in the water and test the temperature. It's just a little five-week commitment. Uh, you can join up and be a part of a community group there. Okay, are we all on page 21? Okay, everyone written their name on it? Hang on to these. Please don't lose them. Please keep them with you for the next five weeks. All your community group's questions and all your information is in there. Great. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever attempted to do something in life, like a project or something like that, and you said to yourself, I got this. I can totally do this. And you can. And it's not a rude thing or it's not that you're being, you know, braggadocious or anything like that. You can actually do something. Like you go to the dentist. You're like, yeah, I need you to fix this cavity. They're like, I got you. I'm a dentist. I can do that, right? Nothing wrong with that. They've trained for that, went to school, they've got some experience. Then have you ever tried to do a different kind of a project, and within five minutes you're like, oh no, I'm totally in over my head. Ever done that in life? Where you're like, okay, this is harder than I thought. This is hard. And church, that is exactly where we are at right now. We are perfectly in over our head. What I want to relate to you today is the in over your head if God doesn't show up, we are in major deep doo-doo project. That's where we're at as a local church. And in fact, I think God loves to do this. And the reason why is because he loves to strip us of autonomy and independence, which none of us like. I would much rather have all my own answers and figure my own stuff out. I don't need anybody's help. I can do it. And your father says, no, that's not how this relationship works. I want you to lean on me. But we would, far, we'd farther, we'd far prefer to be independent and to make our own decisions. Abraham, I want you to make a sacrifice to me. Very quickly, he realizes, I'm in over my head. Jeremiah, I want you to preach a hard message to a hard group of people. He is immediately in over his head. Noah, I have a small construction project for you. He's in over his head. Mary, I know you're ma not married, but guess what? <laughs> and not just your average baby. She's immediately in over his head. I think God might get a chuckle out of this. I think he might enjoy doing this to us. He wants to strip us of autonomy and independence. And it's not just an individual thing. It's a church family thing. Never wants us to become self-centered and our own savvy and our own resources. And I'm convinced that that is where God has us right now. None of us like dependence, but that's where God wants us. So welcome to Advance. Listen to these words. If you're not making mistakes, you're probably not trying anything new. If you're not trying anything new, you're not learning. And if you're not learning, then you and your ministry will quickly be out of date, perhaps even irrelevant. One reason risk-taking is so critical to ministry is that it ties into faith-building. In other words, risk-taking is an expression of faith. And a godly risk-taker is being faithful in his service to God. Will we believe God for big things? If the answer is yes, then we automatically become godly risk-takers. Immediately. Men and women who trust God, not themselves. Men and women who live by faith and not by sight. And I believe that that is exactly where God has us today. Let's take a look at Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, in the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them. So here's our introduction to Nehemiah. And we get a little look at who his dad is, who his brother is. And mostly, right at the beginning here, we see he's got a big question on his mind. I've got a question that I want to ask. Now let that hang in the back of your mind for just a moment. Let me give you the backdrop to what's happening here. Throughout the Old Testament, God had clearly laid out a covenant with his people. Very, very simple, not hard to understand. If you obey me, I'll bless your life. If you obey me, I will bless you. I want to bless your life. But if you don't, if you turn your back at me, if you shake your fist towards the heavens, if you misuse my name, if you run away from me, I'm not going to bless that. 
In fact, you will receive judgment and captivity. There it is. He says it over and over again in Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 28. In 1 Kings, we bump into a guy by the name of Solomon. It's the golden monastic era of the kings of Israel. Saul, David, Solomon. Solomon comes into tremendous power and wealth. He starts off so well, as so many of us do, don't we? And then come the bumps along the road. Solomon, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you. And you're the king, so I'm going to bless your kingship over the nation. I'll bless the whole country. But if you disobey me, if you run away from me, if you will not listen to me, man, you're going to get judgment and captivity. And Solomon does. He starts off really well. God, I want your wisdom so I can be a great leader. But very quickly, he gets into trouble. Very specifically, he does the one thing that God asked him not to do. Do not intermarry with women from other races. Why did God say that? For a very specific reason. Only the nation of Israel were worshipping the God of heaven and earth. And so people from other nations were enthralled in and saturated in idolatry and paganism, child sacrifice, false gods. He's like, don't bring that into your life. Don't bring that into your marriage. Don't bring that into the country. You're the king of the country. I believe, I actually think Solomon was probably a sexaholic. His father had tremendous sexual problems and so did Solomon as a son. He marries hundreds of women. Hundreds. Imagine the credit card bill. <laughs> he marries, he has hundreds of concubines. Hundreds of them. And exactly what God said would happen, happens. He goes down the wrong road. He starts messing up his understanding of faith and who God is. And it doesn't look good at all. And you never believe what happens. Exactly what God said would happen. If you obey me, I'll bless you. If you don't, judgment and captivity. And the country is cracked in two. And you get the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Assyria comes in and wipes out the northern kingdom. A little time passes by. Babylon, the superpower of the day, come in to the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is. This is Solomon's headquarters. And they take the entire people and they move them over and they take them out of their home country and they bring them to Babylon. This is not a good day. It's exactly what God said would happen. Now, time marches on. And as often happens, some of these superpowers, there's a little bit of ebb and flow. And the Babylonians in Babylon they begin to fade, and they're taken over by the Medes, M-E-D-E-S. So they seem to have now the thumb over these Jewish men and women who are no longer in Israel. They're in Babylon. Now they're under the Medes. More time goes by. And now it's the Persians. They rise up in power. And the Persians have control over all of these Israelites in Babylon. Now we're getting really close to the first verses of the first chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Over the course of time, what happens is there's this whisper. The people of God in Babylon, away from their home country, they begin to think, oh, could we go home? Do you think we could be free? Could we go back to our home nation? Could we go back to our God? Could we be a people once again? And they try to do that. And they, they, There's these escapes, these groups, but none of it is clean and none of it is quick. It's a, it's a messy thing over the course of time. And a first group goes by and, and they get back there and they get back and, and things just don't look well for them at all. They're, they just don't have their stuff together. And the nation is not in a good state. And then more time goes by and a second group actually comes in. And this is actually the ministry of Ezra, another Old Testament prophecy. And he actually has to repeat, uh, excuse me, preach a, a word of repentance to that group of people who try to come back because they are in a state of moral and spiritual degradation. They're in a terrible condition. And he brings them to a sense of, of repentance. More time goes by. Actually, 14 years later, we bump into our new buddy, Nehemiah. And he's the one who's got this question. I've got a burning question. And here's what it is. He's in Persia, right? And here's his question. I want to know, how are my brothers and sisters doing in Israel? Those groups who went back, are things going well? Have they come together and unified as a nation once again? Are they worshipping the God of heaven and earth? And here's the answer to his question. I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, Look at this. The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. It's not good news. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down 
and its gates are destroyed by fire. It's still a mess. These several generations later, these different groups and factions and the ministry of Ezra, now we bump into the ministry of Nehemiah and it's still a mess. The state of Jerusalem is a direct reflection of the disobedience of the people of God towards the God of heaven and earth. Great trouble and disgrace, that's what it says. And in an honor-shame culture such as this one here, its gates, their very defense, the fact that they would be burnt down and that the walls have crumbled down to nothing, this would be considered disgraceful. The city of God, anybody from anywhere could waltz in and waltz back out again. Now look at this guy, Nehemiah, because I've come to like him. Look at his character. We don't know much about his childhood. We know the name of his dad and his brother. But in the very last verse of this first chapter, he gives us this tiny detail about himself. He says, I was cupbearer to the king. What king is that? Where does he live? He's in Persia, right? He's cupbearer to the king of Persia. Probably it was his great-grandfather who was abducted and taken captive by the Babylonians. But now they're dominated by the Persians. And can you believe it? This nobody guy from nowhere, captive, slave, dominated, has now risen in the ranks and he's cupbearer to probably one of the most powerful human beings on the planet Earth. Now, the king of Persia would have selected that person with great care. This would be a man of integrity. He would be discreet. He would be consistently honest and trustworthy. Nehemiah's position alone reveals a whole lot about his intellectual capabilities, his emotional maturity, and his spiritual status. This guy is rock solid. An even more, I think, delightful observation into his character is his reaction to this shameful news about what's going on in Jerusalem, the conditions of the people. Look at what he does when he finds out that things are still a mess. As soon as I heard these words, look at his reaction. I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. I mean, when's the last time you wept? When's the last time you wept for days? And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. What I love about this guy is he didn't go, oh, things are bad in Jerusalem. I live in Persia. I hope that goes well for you guys. I don't know what I can do. I'm way over here. You guys are way over there. He didn't shrug his shoulders and say, Phew, well, that's pretty bad. He starts to cry. We have a grown man crying for days. That's a lot. That's a lot, right? To be crying for days about something. And then it says he didn't eat. That's food. I like food. He didn't eat for days. That's an awful lot. I mean, that's a pretty hardcore reaction. He's weeping and fasting for days. And then he begins to plead with God. And look at his character. Why we messed up? We knew better. You already said it to us. If we obey you, you're going to bless us. If we turn our backs on you, we do this to you, it's going to be judgment and captivity. That's what happened. We knew better. We did it anyway. And then he says, not only did we mess up, he says, I messed up. Wait a second. Didn't this happen generations ago? He wasn't around, but somehow he is taking personal ownership and responsibility for something. He's like, me and my father's house, my generations, even my own life, we are guilty of sinning against you and running away from you, God. To put it mildly, he took it seriously. Now, I want to challenge you in this. For every one of you, have you ever looked at something that's wrong? Have you ever looked at something that's unjust and unfair in this world? And the temptation to go, well, you know, I live over here in Persia. I hope somebody can figure that out. That's bigger than me. I don't know what a difference I can make. Does this sound familiar? And life will do that to you. 
And what I want to challenge you in is I think sometimes you need to see when something is wrong or unjust, something should be erupting inside of you to say, man, I am, I am moved to say something, to get down on my knees, to pray to my Father. I'm powerfully moved to actually do something about it. Having a holy discontent about those things that are unrighteous. Church, that's a good thing. Here's how I think Nehemiah would sum it up. I'm not okay with what's not okay. That's a good thing to do. I'm not okay with the condition of Jerusalem. I'm not able to just go, oh well. I'm not okay with that. That is not going well for my, for my country. And followers of Christ should never be okay with things that oppose truth and righteousness. In fact, an inability to feel or to be moved by what truly offends God is a warning sign that something's wrong. An inability to, to have, to have a, a diverse reaction to that, an inverse reaction to that, is, is, is an indication that your heart is getting smaller, that your spirit is withering. Look at Bill Hybel's words. He says, what is an aspect of this broken world that when you see it or touch it or get near it, you just can't stand it? Very likely, that firestorm of frustration reflects a holy discontent, a reality so troubling that you're thrust off the couch and into the game. It's during these defining times that when your eyes open to the needs surrounding you and your heart hungers to respond that you hear God say to you, I feel exactly the same way as you. Now let's solve this together. I pray that every man and woman in this room has a broken heart about the things that break the heart of God. And that they're powerfully, we are powerfully moved to do something about it. We can't just sit still. For Moses, it was the misery of his people. He was like, I can't, I can't look at this another day. And he jumps into the game. Huge consequences for him. For David, he's this kid. He walks up to the scene, massive man. What's he doing? He's mocking God. And he's like, you guys are tolerating this? I can't tolerate this for another second. Where's my sling? Let's go. I can't stand this. There's no way I'm going to stand idly by. And for Nehemiah, he's weeping because Jerusalem is in ruins. And the people were in a state of moral and spiritual degradation. Then Nehemiah remembers something. Did you ever just have that? Bing! Hey God, didn't you say, didn't you say that if we'd obey you, you'd bless us? Yeah? Do you remember that thing you said? It's in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I think I read it in 1 Kings as well. Didn't you say that? Didn't you say that if we disobeyed you, it would be judgment and captivity? Because I seem to remember you saying that. Look at what he says, verse 8. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, how about Persia? From there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And he's like, I'm not alone. And to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. And next week you're going to see how pivotal that is. I got totally caught with this the other day. I had said to my kids, if you do this job, I'm going to give you something nice. Just like a treat. And I had said it like several days ago. There's a big job they had to do, and then they were going to get something very tasty, and their mother wouldn't see it. <laughs> but it was a few days ago, so in one daddy ear, out the other daddy ear. And so the three of them got together, and they did the, they did the job. And they came up to me, and they were like, ching give me the good stuff, Dad. I want it. And, uh, and they're like, hey, Dad, can we have this? Da, da, da? And I was like, no, you can't have that. It was like automatic machine gun response. Da, 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 da. They were like, but dad, you said. I like that little phrase. But dad, didn't you say? Because I'll remind you what you told me. 
if you can't remember, I remember, I'm going to you said it with your mouth. I'm going to remind you of your words. you got to know what you said to me because I'm going to remind you of that. And that is what Nehemiah does. But dad, you said, come on dad. Dad, you said, you said that we've, we obeyed you, you'd bless us. Well, guess what? I'm obeying you. And I'm not alone. And guess what? This is not okay. So dad, I need your blessing. I have to have your blessing. Anyone in life right now where you're just something inside you would say, God, I need your blessing right now because I've had enough of judgment and captivity. I need you to bless my life. I need it. And I don't think God has any kind of problem with those kinds of prayers. You can remind God all day and all night of what he has already said over your life. And some of you today, you need to pray some gutsy prayers. God, you said you would be my helper and I need your help. Dad, you said it. You said it. And I'm looking for your blessing. I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to seek your face. God, you said you provide. And I don't have two pennies to rub together. So I need your provision in my life. Dad, you said you'd do it. You said you'd do it. And I think God honors those kinds of prayers. Go for it. Pray him. Pray him out loud. Take his words. Put them in your mouth. And say them back to him. I don't think he's got any problem with that at all. Okay, we're going to turn a corner here. I want you to take these two fundamental principles right now. I'm not okay with what's not okay. But dad, you said, and I want you to turn a corner from Nehemiah into this world in which we live in, into this chapter, this community, this church, into Mount Pleasant and Remus and Clare and Ithaca and Shepherd and Alma and all of these places and where you live and where you work and your neighborhood and your office and the factory floor and your family and your marriage and your kids and your grandparents, all of those pieces. I want you to bring it into that. Because I believe God's heart for the advancement of the gospel has to touch all of those pieces. So what I want to share with you now is in very concrete steps of what we believe the Holy Spirit has placed on our heart as a local church in terms of the immediate future, right now, into the next 24 months. So I want you to take a look at this video. I want you to sit on the edge of your seat. I want you to give this your full attention. I pray that you would be moved by this. I pray that you would be inspired by this. Take a look at this video. Two good-looking fellas right here. After the better part of a year of prayer and fasting, the staff and elders of Community Church distinctly responded to God's guidance and leadership. The call to unconditionally love every person, no matter their religion, their politics, their opinions, their past, or their worst mistakes. The call to follow the Spirit of God for every decision every day. The call to invest into families of every size and shape. The unquestionable call to make disciples and the privilege of making an impact outside this church building and into the community. What an absolute joy to see Jesus Christ transform the lives of people in Mount Pleasant and surrounding towns as well as across the globe. Last year alone, we saw 97 people who began a new life as they committed their faith and trust in Jesus for the very first time. Our average attendance this past year, including children, was 1,418. I get teared up every single time people get baptized around here. 43 people made a public profession of their faith through baptism in 2019. And we sent teams and servants and support for the gospel into Lansing, Chicago, Moldova, Ireland, Nigeria, South Africa, Kazakhstan, and Singapore. And this church generously provided over $100,000 to people and families in need and crisis this year. Lives have been forever changed because of the ministry of Community Church. And that's why we're anxiously awaiting what God has in store for our future together. Right now, we're embarking on a new season at Community Church, a new season where God is expanding the reach of the gospel in powerful, fresh ways. A new season where God wants to take every single follower and use us for His glory to lead more and more and more people into the focused life with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one that matters. His gospel message is the only message that can change and transform broken lives. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is completely persuaded of that very thing. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. A little later, he says, talking about Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
We are entering into a new season where all the more we're stepping up to fulfill that very mission, to preach Christ and Him crucified. The heart of most religions is good advice, good techniques, good programs, good ideas, but the heart of Christianity is good news. That's why we're referring to this new season of ministry as advance. Advance represents the next two years of ministry expansion and gospel impact. Advance is the simple descriptor that highlights what God wants to do both in and through community church. The gospel cannot sit still, it must advance. The gospel refuses to be stagnant, it must advance. And God is certainly not sitting on his hands. The kingdom is advancing. And it's our job to partner with God on that mission. Ultimately, we're taking part in a massive assault that began one dark afternoon on a hill just outside Jerusalem. The first thing that stood out to me about Community Church was the community and everyone's so welcoming and friendly. Communication, the pastors are amazing. Um, we just always feel welcome and um, comfortable here. I first started coming to Community Church with my wife. Uh, we were going to another church in town and uh, we just were kind of looking for something that got a little more in depth. I felt completely comfortable walking into it, um, the church with a tattoo and I've always been a person that wears my hat and I didn't really feel like it was the typical church um, environment where they, they size you up before you get comfortable. I absolutely love the music on Sunday mornings. I mean, I love the sermons and sometimes I re-listen to them on the, the app but the, the worship through music is incredible. Other than the fact that we were going to be church shopping, as it were, and we never really did any more shopping once we came here, we got eventually got into small groups. And to me, that's where rubber meets the road. It, it's, nice, it's nice to have a large congregation, but then also to be able to apply what you've heard in the, in the sermons to a small, small group of people. There was some sort of love this undercurrent of love that was just kind of healing in an interesting way, soothing. Advance is an opportunity for every single person at Community Church to roll up their sleeves and to make a difference in transforming the lives of men, women, and children over the next two years. Our hope is to see God's love impact lives through these three unique initiatives. First, advance the launch of our first multi-site in Alma, Michigan. We want to see the establishment of a dynamic, vibrant, and relevant local church that reaches out to the communities of Alma, St. Louis, Shepherd, Ithaca, and other surrounding towns. A church that increases our influence into the lives and homes of singles, marrieds, couples, businesses, education, young and old. To accomplish this, we are setting a financial goal of $2.9 million over the next two years. Community Church has always had a heart for those outside the church. Advance is going to be the catalyst to move that mission forward even further over the next two years. Second, Advance is the expansion of our ministry in Mount Pleasant. We're deliberately pushing forward and expanding the ongoing life-changing ministries in Mount Pleasant. Additional momentum into both local and global partners who are making a difference in our community. Continued investment into the lives of children and teenagers and college students as well as some needed updates and refurbishment to the original facility. On top of that, we feel a deep burden to launch a brand new ministry for those struggling with addiction with alcohol, gambling, pornography, codependency, eating disorders, substance abuse. Our hope is to launch a 12-step Christ-centered ministry here in Mount Pleasant for those caught in the grips of these addictions. To accomplish this, we're setting a financial goal of $3.3 million over the next two years. Third, advance the 418 initiative. The first words from the mouth of Jesus at the very launch of his ministry is from Luke 418. He's actually quoting Isaiah from the Old Testament and he's stating his mission and purpose. The Spirit of God is upon me to set prisoners free, to give sight to the blind, to bring recovery for the oppressed. Jesus was directly stating that he had come to change the lives of those who had dire need. And we are convinced that we must continue to increase our heart and compassion 
for those in need, not just inside the church, but also those outside the four walls of this building, those in the community. We dare not become insular or self-interested. The 418 Initiative describes our collective efforts to feed the poor, to help families in crisis, to increase local partnerships with agencies and Christ-centered ministries, not only in Isabella County, but now also in Gratia County. The 418 Initiative is a tangible expression of the gospel. It also applies to our global partnerships all around the world. In Isabella and Gratia County, we hope to purchase medical debt that has gone into collections. We want to set families and individuals free from financial slavery. On top of that, we want to start a scholarship fund for all of our community groups to fund a tangible help in the very places where you live and work and have relationships. To accomplish the 418 initiative, we are setting a financial goal of $724,000 over the next two years. Altogether, that means we have set a goal of raising $7 million to help advance the gospel in Alma, in Mount Pleasant, and in other places in the world. Advance is a one-fund initiative, which means that every dime we give will go towards this very dream that we've laid out. It's all one mission, so it's all one budget. $7 million. That is a God-sized vision for us to move towards. Please note that in that $7 million, we already have the next two years budget included in that figure. But it's important to remember that $7 million, it's merely a secondary goal. Our primary goal is 100% engagement. That every single person encounters Jesus Christ and that he would create generous hearts in us. This can't be about money. What God wants for us is to put him first in our hearts, in our lives, and in our priorities. This is about Jesus Christ and encountering his leadership so that we follow him and serve him and become like him. Through advance, you will probably be taking some of the biggest and riskiest steps of faith you have ever taken. And it's going to be a huge step for community church. It'll be so much easier to simply not do these things, but we must. We are compelled to follow his leadership. The season of ministry will be a defining moment for us as a church. And we invite you to be a part of this historic moment. We'll be laying a foundation, leaving a legacy and a mark for Christ. We get to be a part of reaching thousands of lives that will be changed by his love forever. Paul said it, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. Let's take this one and only life and spend it together on purpose, telling the good news to everyone who needs to hear it. Okay, praise God. Does that make sense? Advance the gospel in Alma, launch of a brand new multi-site right there. Advance the gospel in Mount Pleasant, so an expansion of ministry right there, right here. And then the 418 Initiative. It's just a nickname that we have given to the fact that we want to make sure that we never become that church who says, what's the phrase, us four no more? You, you know what I mean by that? We have our little thing here and we meet and we sing our songs. There's got to be an external expression of the gospel constantly. Let me ask the question, why are we doing this? I promise you, it'd be so much easier to not do it. I could just come here, could preach a nice message, go home and have a bit of lunch, right? This would be way easier to not do that. Why do we do this? Why does, why does Nea look at this thing and weep? Because he's not okay with what's not okay. God, you said you wanted to do something. You wanted to bless this. And that's where we're at right now. Why are we doing this? I look at Alma. There are wonderful, wonderful, amazing churches in Alma. They are doing a fantastic job. But there's also a handful of churches in Alma that have locked up their doors and closed up shop, and they're gone. We did the, the due diligence on this. If we took every single church in Alma, and we maxed them out 100% capacity, and then we doubled every single one of them over with capacity, twice over, there would still be thousands of people with no church to go to and are not hearing the gospel. There is a lostness there that, where there's a light of Jesus Christ that is needed. Why are we doing this here in Mount Pleasant? 
Why an expansion of ministry in Mount Pleasant? It's simple. It's so tempting to look at church right here and go, oh, this is a great church. What an exciting place. Lots of people are coming. On the video, 97 people committed their lives to Jesus Christ last year. Can we give him thanks for that? Praise God. Like, that's the best news. That is the best news. News doesn't get better than someone coming from darkness into light. So, but here's the worst thing you could do. We could just go, oh, things are great here. And I'll tell you why. Because we're not done. Because there are more children who need to go to VBS. There are more families, more middle schoolers and high schoolers. We've got more outreach to do into mid-Michigan and into CMU. There are more families. There are more people in crisis, divorces, and anxiety, and depression, and addiction. Last year, last year alone in my office, Adderall, heroin, cocaine, pornography, alcohol, gambling, codependency. What would it look like if 12 months from now, we have a man walking through that door who said, I used to be addicted to heroin, but I've been set free by Jesus Christ. How about that? that that's why. There's power in the name of Jesus. Why are we doing this? The 418 initiative, I tell you why we need to do the 418. We need to do it for us. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you were generous towards somebody else? And you realize after the fact, it was actually good for me to be generous. Because if I'm not generous, then I'll do what I always do. I'll be completely selfish and self-centered. I will take everything I can, and I will hoard it and keep it for me and myself and my future and my now, or the things that I want to have to own or possess. I mean, that's the way we come out of the womb. We come out like that, clinging on to stuff that we can. That's mine. That's mine. Don't touch it. What's the first word a kid learns? No, or it's mine. It's in us. And sometimes, and I think that's more than an individual thing. I think as a family of God, it's actually good for our spirits to say, we must be generous. We want to be generous. Last year, over $100,000 that went out to families in crisis. Listen, we could have bought more plush carpet or a few chandeliers in here. I don't want chandeliers in here, and I don't want more plush carpet. The place looks great, praise God. Thousands of people can come in here, and it's attractive, and it looks great. But it, we don't need that. We want to reach out into the lives of other people who don't have, and we want to be generous. We talked about on that video, medical debt. We've already done the work on this. We're going to take $3 million of medical debt that has gone into compensation, and we're going to wipe it out for Central Michigan. Luke chapter 418, so setting people free. So how about we set people free from financial slavery? That's finances that have gone into collections, and we're going to wipe it out. Okay, $7 million. <laughs> I've lost a few nights sleep on this one. That's a big number. I just, I can't be about money. I don't want, it can't be about that. It's the invitation to everybody here to encounter Jesus Christ when it comes to generosity in our hearts. Kelly and myself, we were living in Ireland, planting a church. I'm from there. She was a missionary. She's American. She went over there, and there we were trying to plant a church with a handful of people. And I'm sure people think Ireland, oh, the land of saints and scholars, very religious country. Do they even need any more churches? Oh, my goodness. Unbelievable darkness. Unbelievable. The analogy I always say to Kelly is that I feel like it was a freight train sitting on the tracks, and there the two of us were trying to push this thing, and we couldn't get it to move an inch. We handed out, I used to do music and recordings, because I owned them all. I, we handed out 10,000 copies of an old CD that I did, a worship CD, with a letter inviting two Irish people from an Irish person, uh, and we hand-delivered them with Wally and Linda this is a good few years ago, into 10,000 homes, and we prayer walked the city. First service, guess how many people came? Two. Oh, dear Jesus. <laughs> Help! That's hard. It was hard. And we were raising our own salary. We raised all our own finances to launch the church, to pay the rent, to have stuff for the kids. We raised all of our own money. We didn't have any support whatsoever, and I was not very good at doing that. And then in the midst of all that, we were married a few years. We said, let's start a family. And then we lost our first baby. And then Kelly was struggling. And then we kept working and we kept working. And then we lost another baby. 
And then we kept putting our shoulder into this freight train. We couldn't get it to move an inch. And then we lost another baby. Give me a second. And then she was struggling. And she lost weight. And I couldn't make her better. I think she had postnatal depression. And we were trying and trying. And one day I got all manly and I was like, Kelly, come on. Let's get out of the house. We're going into town and let's go get a nice bit of food to eat. We'll go to a nice restaurant. And let's go to the movies. It's escapism. That's all it was. You ever done that? Like, I got to get out of here. I got to do something else. And that's what we did. We got in the car. I said, we're going to the movies. We're going to get a nice bit of food to eat. And I was all like manly about it. Like, get in the car. And we're sitting there, and I took out my wallet, and I looked at it, and I just hung my head. I said, Kelly, we don't have money. I didn't have enough money to buy her a sandwich. I didn't have two pennies to rub together. I said, Kelly, we've got to go back into the house. I mean, shoulders down, walk of defeat. And we get down on our knees, and I wish I had a fancy story. I wish I could say, oh, we prayed a prayer, and we won the lottery. You know, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> No, that didn't happen. And no, some long-lost relative didn't appear out of the woodwork and give us millions of dollars. We don't have millions of dollars. Here's what happened. And I have no other explanation for it. The only thing I can call it is daily bread. Every day, he gave us our daily bread. And it's not, I know it's not, that's not like sensational, but it was for us. Every bill and every meal, we had what we needed. And I, I look back on those times and I'm like, I tried to conjure up other explanations. I tried to think of like, oh, that was me doing something clever or squeezing pennies or I did a side job or it wasn't any of that. I look back and I just go, that was God, that was God, that was my father, that was my father in heaven, that was him providing, that was him. And it was our daily bread, it was our daily bread, our daily bread. I wouldn't want to go back there because it was no fun at all, but I wouldn't swap it for anything in the world. And some of you here today, you have stories exactly like that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You have those moments where you're like, I am at the end of my rope here. I'm at my wits end. I don't know how to manage. I don't know how to move forward. And God shows up and says, here's my hand to care over your life. And what you did in those moments, is what Kelly and I did, is you end up building an altar there. It's like the Old Testament. God just shows up in a powerful way. And you build this altar and you name it. It's like, this is when God did this. This is when he moved this powerfully in my life. And you build an altar because you're like, I'm never ever going to forget what he did. And that's, a, that's what that time in our life, rep, what it represents for us. It affected my faith journey. It influenced my trust when it comes to generosity, when it comes to giving. Here's what was whispered in my ear again and again before I preached this message. Before this series, these five weeks, I think they're critical for us as a church. Here's what I heard in my ear. You ready? Alan, don't talk about money. Don't talk about money. Don't do it. Why? Because the church has a dreadful reputation. Here's what was whispered in my ear. Do you know this? I've been, I've been here a little over four years. Guess how many times I am, I am derelict in my duties as a pastor. Guess how many times I've talked to this church about money? Once. I've talked about saving. I've talked about helping people get out of debt. That's fine. I can do that all day long. But giving, I've talked about it once. I don't like to talk about it because the church has such a dreadful reputation. Well, if you want to be blessed, give, give us your money. And I'm like, oh, I can't cope with that. I did one message once on tithing, and I felt so bad. And I was, all I kept thinking about, oh, but what about that new person who walks in the door? And now we're talking about money. And so I was like, if you're new here, so we're going to be talking about tithing. And I paused, and I was like, I have one word for you, bummer. And, and, and this whole church, we all just laughed together. And about three or four months ago, this couple came up to me like, we're the bummer couple. I'm like, what are you talking about? We came when you talked about money. I was like, and you're still here, thank the Lord. Don't talk about it. I know that we don't push hard on money in this church. I talked to a fellow this week. He was, he was crying. I said, he, I said oh, why? Why are you so emotional? He said, when I came to this church, he said, you want to know what got me? He said, you were taking up the offering. He said, I had a chip on my shoulder about this church because it was a big church. He's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this. They probably just say things you want to hear. 
And he said, I don't want to hear what I want to hear. I want to hear what God wants to say to me. He said, the offering came and somebody just said this. Hey, if you're new around here, just let the plate pass you by. He's, he's crying like a baby. I'm like, oh, that really meant a lot to you. He's like, it did. And I know we're, we've never been a church that does that. But here's what I would just say. Pastor Wally and myself, we're just, we're just not going to apologize for representing what Christ said about finances. The first thing Jesus talked about in his ministry was the kingdom of God. The second thing he talked about was hell. <laughs> hell. Who wants to hear that message? And the third thing he talked about more than anything else was generosity. So we're not going to apologize for talking to you about generosity. Rather, we're excited to see how the Lord would lead us and guide us as we want to advance the gospel. If you are a part of this community in any shape or form, I want to ask you, would you make this commitment? Please, do not miss a week. We've got this five-week series right here. Hold on to your guidebooks. Bring them back every single Sunday. Click into a community group. Dive into this material. Seek the Lord and take it seriously if you would. Because I believe this is going to be a formative time for us as a church to see God. How are you going to move uniquely in this place, in this time, in our generation right now? Nehemiah is incredibly moved. Next week, he's going to make this gutsy, gutsy move. It has to do with this little phrase he says at the end, now I was cupbearer to the king of Persia. It's unbelievable what he does and how God uses him. Here's the call to action, if I could simply put it like this. Tell me if this makes any sense. I want to ask everybody here, would you make a commitment to make a commitment? Does that make sense? I'm asking you to make a commitment to be about this. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, Seek the Lord. I'm going to actually take it seriously. Something inside of you that says, I'm not okay with people addicted to heroin. I'm not okay with people in the town right down the road from us who need to hear about Jesus Christ and maybe we could do something about that. I'm not okay with this medical debt. Maybe we could touch that in some way. But God, didn't you say you wanted to bless us? I want to ask you to take this very seriously. Would you honestly come before the Lord and simply ask him, God, what is my role in all of this? To be praying for this and in this. God, how can I serve you best with this life that you've given me? How can I grow in generosity? Yeah, even in my own heart. How can I be a part of what you're doing in this place? I want to ask you to commit to bring that question before you, God. Would you please do that? Let's stand up together and I'll close in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for what you're doing in this place. We are honored and glad to serve you with our lives. We are excited to see how you are going to advance the gospel. And so right now, God, we pray for Isabella County and we pray for Gratiot County and we pray for nothing less than a revival of your Holy Spirit to break out so that hundreds and thousands of people would encounter the love of Jesus Christ, God. We cannot keep this for ourselves. We pray for the expansion of ministry right here in Mount Pleasant. God, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that addicts would be set free. Father, we pray that we would never, ever become insular, that we would never, ever just look to ourselves, but instead we would look to you and we would want to mimic what Jesus Christ did when he said, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. I pray for every person in this room today who has a heart for Christ and the local church, that you would lead us on this journey, that we would see how to serve you best, how to give ourselves to the cause that you've called us to. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And the church together all said, amen. Amen. Let's worship.